Friends, for those who are new, my name is Marwan, and I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And as I always say, it is a joy to gather together with you. This morning, uh, we will bring this sermon series on the vision and mission of our church to a close with our fourth and final phrase, through the gospel. We, as a church, will glorify God. We will live in community. We will be a church not only in the city, but for the city, all through the gospel. The the phrase, through the gospel, is a declaration that we have life through the work of Jesus. It's a deep mindfulness that we have no life. And in fact, there is nothing good in our lives apart from Jesus. But here's the thing. The work of Christ, the message of the gospel, isn't just about the way of salvation. The message of the gospel isn't just the entrance into the Christian life. It is, as I hope we'll see this morning, the whole of Christian life. And so this statement through the gospel is a statement about gospel centrality. Now I'll begin this morning by quickly considering uh, the, the gospel as the means of salvation, because I want us to clearly understand the work of Jesus to save. But most of our time this morning we'll be thinking about the importance of and the practice of gospel centrality. But first, a comment about how dear this topic is both to me and Marcy. Uh, Friends, this is why we came to Lebanon. This is why we desire to see a church planted. As as we sensed God leading us to serve Him in a full-time capacity, as we're exploring what that could look like, we were open and willing to do many different things for the name of Jesus. But when Marcy and I understood that the gospel is to be central to all of life, and when we saw the depth and the beauty of the gospel lived out in the life of the local church, that's what we wanted. That's what we understood was the way of Christianity. That's what we hoped others would see, believe, and experience. Friends, we, we know the burdens and the dangers of religiosity. We have experienced, as I know many of you have, a weak Christianity that's driven by moralism and an obligation by guilt and by fear. And when we were shown all that gospel living could be, we found ourselves growing. We matured in our faith. We grew in our love for Christ and for one another and for the church. And so that's my prayer for you and for our church. I pray, and not only pray, I believe that as we seek God through His Word, as we center our lives on Jesus, we will be deeply and continually transformed. And this renewal that only comes to the gospel will bear great fruit in our lives and it will bring God all the more glory. Would you pray with me as we prepare ourselves to go to God's word? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you the fresh acknowledgement that unless you speak and give us ears to hear, There's no point of gathering. Fathers, to do the work that only you can do. Give us eyes to see you. Or give us ears 
to hear your word, your voice this morning. Lord, would you soften our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. We do these things believing that you're a God who loves and a God who hears and a God who is able. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Uh, friends, let's first consider together the gospel as the good news of salvation. Uh, look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through the first through verses of chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through chapter 6, verse 2. I don't think that's printed for you. That should just be on the screens or, of course, in your Bible. For the love of Christ compels us, Paul writes, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Weeks. I could spend weeks in this rich passage. But very simply, we can see that the gospel is that through Christ's death, we have been reconciled to God. Right? Something was broken and we've been brought back into a right relationship. Right? He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And really, I think for us to understand this passage, it's best to begin with what the passage doesn't directly say, but is clearly inferred. The fact that we need reconciliation with God means that we were at a time alienated from God. Right? The Bible describes this in several different ways. Uh, in one sense, we are far from God physically. Right? There, there was a distance between us and Him as He removed us from His presence. But, it, but it's more than just a, a physical distance. We weren't only far away but we directly opposed God and His ways. We were, as the Bible describes, enemies with God. God is light, but we prefer darkness. God is Lord, but we want to rule our own lives. God is holy, and yet we love sin. And so, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, God gave us, us as all of humanity, 
over to the things that we desired. This is what it means to be alienated from God. And yet the gospel message is a message of good news. Though we were far from God and were enemies of God, he made a way to save us. He gave us a new life and he gave us new desires. The first few words of verse 15 tells us that Christ died for all. Now, you've you've heard me say many times that the beauty of the gospel is that it's for everyone. Right? It doesn't matter where you came from, where you live now. It doesn't matter what your family name is or which sect you belong to. It doesn't matter what religion or ethnicity is attached to your identity card. Jesus died for all. But what does this phrase exactly mean? If Jesus died for all, does that mean everyone is saved? We know that's not true. Christianity isn't universalism. It's not just everyone just ends up in heaven because that's how it works. That's that's not what the Bible teaches. When we say that Christ died for all, we say that Christ's death was sufficient for all humanity, but efficient simply for the people of God. And so... The way to God is open to all who come, but sadly, we know that all won't come to God. We prefer darkness. We prefer ourselves. I understand this is a pretty heavy doctrine, but in part, we can follow this logically. right? If, if the payment necessary for our sins, to pay our debt, is Christ's blood, right? And so if Christ shed His blood for everyone and yet not everyone will believe in him, that means that his blood wasn't effective to save those people who would reject him. Now we know that can't be the case. It can't be that Christ's payment wasn't enough. And so we understand through the scriptures that Christ paid the price only for those who would repent and believe in him. Again, there's much mystery to this, and yet we can proclaim it to be true. Right? The debt was fully paid for those who belonged to him, but the rest of the world is still under a debt to God and therefore are under his wrath. Christ took his father's wrath on the cross. He was raised on the third day and all who believe in Jesus are saved. Friends, we're not uh, cleaned up. We're not just improved We are made completely new. We are in Christ altogether new. And I love how this section ends by declaring that today is the day of salvation. And friend, if you don't know Christ, this can be true for you. The good news of salvation is that it's a gift. It's not earned. It's an act of love and grace that's given to those who would believe. And so I say, as the scriptures declare, if you have never believed in Christ or put your hope in Him, that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't regret what you should have done yesterday. Place your hope and trust in Christ and find rest for your souls. Now, this is the message of the gospel. A person must believe in and trust the work of Jesus in order to be saved. I say this gently but clearly. If, if, if you think you're a Christian 
because of any other reason than faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, dear friend, you are not a Christian according to the Bible. And so understanding and believing the gospel message is necessary. But you can be a Christian and churches can be true. We can be a church and yet not center our lives on the gospel of Jesus. Right? A person can be truly saved and only understand the gospel to be the entrance into salvation. You can really love Jesus, but still live in fear and lean into your own efforts too much. And so what, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? How is it that we live and grow as Christians? Now that's what we'll be thinking on together now. But first, a, a quick comment. I will be using the phrase or the term gospel-centered interchangeably with Christ-centered or Jesus-centered. Yes, there are some technical difficulties, or it's difficulties, goodness, technical differences uh, between those two phrases. But for our purposes, they are the same concept. Uh, I, I'm thinking on this as John Calvin does when he said that Christ comes to us clothed in the gospel. And so let me prepare you uh, for a lot of scripture. More than we usually read, but not as much as next week. I'll leave that open-ended. I won't tell you all the details about that. Now we're going to cover a lot of scriptures, mostly from the book of Colossians, because I want us to see that gospel centrality isn't just a, a, a man-made concept. This isn't something, oh, this, this sounds good, this will help people, so let's consider it and let's kind of market it and push it out. No, I want us to see that this is foundational to Christian life. Again, not just the entrance. And as we read these passages, most of them will be on the screen. I'll put four images, or I'll pull out four images, and then we are going to spend time considering those four images. In John chapter 6, uh, right as Christ, uh, right after Christ performed several miracles, and right before his bread of life discourse, Jesus was asked, What can we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. And so friend, very simply, we can say that the Christian life isn't about doing, it's about believing. If you remember with me, uh, as, as I preached through the book of Galatians, this is why Paul was shocked with the Galatians. Right? He even called them fools because they know that they entered Christianity by faith. But then they started to think that they can continue their lives by the works of their flesh, by their own efforts and in their own strength. Look with me now as we start going through. We're going to go through the first three chapters of Colossians, just small sections at a time. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. 
It is bearing fruit and growing all the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. And so notice with me here that the fruit of the gospel, or the work of Christ in their lives and in our lives, is growing not only all over the world, but also in their own lives. Paul saying, you heard the gospel, you believe the gospel, and it's continuing to grow within you. Jump down with me to verses 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Verse 13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What's happening here? Paul has received word. He's heard of how the gospel is growing and bearing fruit in the life of the Colossians. And what does he pray for? That the gospel would grow even more. Right? He encourages them, not with new things, not with the next level of Christianity. Okay, you figured out the gospel, great. Let's now, you know, let me welcome you to the next phase of the Christian life. No. He encourages them with the truths of the gospel because he wants them to be anchored in the gospel. That will be our first image that we'll develop after the scriptures read. Our first image is anchor. Look with me to the end of chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with His strength that works powerfully in me. And so Paul here speaks of the gospel as power that works within him. Then here in the first three verses of chapter 2, we'll see that Paul refers to the gospel as treasure. So we have anchor, power, treasure. Look with me to Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, do you hear how He's not adding any new instructions? He's not offering them or encouraging them to do different things. He wants them to grow in their love and in their knowledge and understanding of the gospel. Let's keep reading a bit more. 
chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So then, just as you have received Christ, Jesus, as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by Him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So what's happened here? Paul has shifted slightly from describing the work of the gospel, and he gives a warning not to be tempted with a works-based Christianity. Right? He tells them not to fall into human tradition or into philosophies. We won't read these, but in verses 16 and 17, he tells them not to let religious activity, in verses 18 to 19, not to let spiritual experiences, verses 20 through 23, not to let external rules be the foundation of their lives. And of course, these words are for us as well. Don't let these things be what we build our Christianity upon. But to continue walking in Him in the same way that we received Him. Through faith. By grace, through faith. The last reading is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul calls believers to fix their eyes and to center their lives on Jesus Christ. And here we read of the gospel as lens, a new way of looking. Friends, let me say it again. Gospel centrality isn't about adding something or doing more. The way that we grow as Christians is by going deeper. Friends, we, we have all that we need in the gospel. Now, let's develop those four images a bit more. The gospel is anchor, the gospel is power, the gospel is treasure, and the gospel as lens. And let's start off with the gospel as lens. To be gospel-centered, we understand the gospel as lens. The, the gospel gives us a new focus and a new perspective. We just read it in Colossians chapter 3, right? We're called to, to look up. A gospel-centered person and a gospel-centered church focuses and seeks the things above. What does that mean? While the rest of the world is concerned with the things of this world, with the temporary pleasures and the temporary problems... Our eyes are fixed on Jesus and on eternity. 
It's a mindfulness, not to focus on the things that are temporary. The gospel as lens isn't only about looking up, though. It's also a new way of looking around. It's a new way of seeing altogether. We look at things happening in our life and, and things that are happening in the world through the lens of the gospel. When we see pain and brokenness, we can understand the effects of sin, whether in someone else's life or within ourselves. When we see the good things and the joys of this world, we understand them to be a gift from God because every good and perfect thing comes from above. When we see another Christian, we don't see someone else, oh, like you believe these same doctrines as me? Or we, we, we belong to the same church, it's the same faith? No, we don't see someone who agrees with us on certain things. We see brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel as lens serves as a filter to everything that we see and everything that we experience. And, and all of our interactions are filtered through this incredible truth. The truth that our greatest need has been provided for in Christ. Next, the gospel as anchor. Friend, if you've zoned out a bit, it's okay. Let me welcome you back to the sermon. Uh, if, if you were uh, about to lose focus, here's your cue uh, to, to stay with me. If, if you forget everything else, but this point sticks with you, it was a good Sunday in my opinion. When I think of the gospel as an anchor, I think of depth and steadiness. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 6, verse 19, that we have this hope, speaking of Christ, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let me say that again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The gospel of Jesus declares new life. It declares identity with Christ and declares the hope of heaven. And so we are anchored in these truths if we central, center our lives around the gospel. We identify with them as truth. We have them. They're ours. And identity is a big part of this. As I'm preparing, I always ask questions of myself as I ask questions of the text. And so the questions I'm asking you, I know I'm standing higher than where you're sitting, but I'm not looking down. I'm sharing with you the things that have been uh, revealed and as I see and as I'm being confronted with the gospel as well. And so I ask you this morning, I wonder if you would describe your own identity in Christ as firm and secure. You see, the gospel is a message of grace. The righteousness that we need before God, and righteousness is an idea of a right standing. All that we need to be made right with Him isn't found in yourselves. It's given to us by Christ. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness, not our own. 
And when we're anchored in the gospel, one of the joys and beauties is that we are freed from ourselves. Let me explain. When we're not deeply rooted and anchored in the gospel, we will find ourselves trying to earn that righteousness. Why? Well, it's because righteousness gives a sense of worth. It gives a sense of value. It gives security. And when we are not deeply rooted in the gospel, when we start to revert back to a works-based righteousness, one of two things is going to happen. We'll either begin pretending that we're doing okay, or we're going to perform so that we, we at least feel better about ourselves. We'll keep working and we'll never stop because we are never sure if we've done enough. Or because we think we need to have this righteousness within ourselves, we'll pretend we have it. Fake it until we make it. Even though you know you never will. That's, that's not the message and the power of the gospel. Maybe this describes you. And I'm sure it does all of us in some way. We all lean either towards one side or another. We're either going to lean towards law and good works and, and feel that we have to do everything right in order to be accepted, or we lean towards license. We have the freedom to do whatever because none of it matters. God will just forgive, hopefully. But we lean one way or another. And both extremes aren't rightly based in the gospel. Here, here's a small test to see if you are anchored in the gospel or not. God's smile. God's smile. If you're with us a few weeks ago when I preached uh, on Psalms 42 and 43, uh, we said that the, the, the psalmist looked up and found his salvation in God, but we considered that it's poetic language that could even be understood as he found his salvation in the smile of God. When he looked up, all that mattered is that is God smiling down. And so let me ask you, when do you think that God looks down and smiles on you? If you woke up tomorrow and had a wonderful day, you started with Bible reading and prayer, you shared the gospel with a friend, you ate a salad for lunch, you went to community group, which there's not one on Monday, so don't go to community group. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I slid an announcement in there for us. You'd call it a good day, right? It was a good day. You'd, you'd feel like you'd done well. Maybe you did the things you're hoping to do. Now, let me ask you, what happens if on the following morning, you woke up late and therefore angry? Should I ask for a raise of hands if you ever woken up angry? No, please don't raise your hands. You kicked your cat or your kids. I don't know what you do. I just am trying to come up with an example. You didn't read the Bible. Your only prayer that day was a complaint to God. You ate an unhealthy lunch. You skipped the opportunity to meet with other believers. And you fell into that sin that you've been fighting. You've been fighting well, but you sinned in the way that you've been trying not to. What's the look on God's face? Is it different from day one to day two? On the day that you kicked your cat, 
I, li I don't have any problems with cats. Just, some of you have cats, I think, figure that might happen sometimes. On the day that you woke up, on that Tuesday, when everything went wrong, do you picture God as disappointed or as frustrated with you? Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you imagine God as anything but overjoyed with you on both days, then you fall into a works-based mindset. The gospel declares that in Christ, God is deeply satisfied with you. And because you are in Christ and clothed in Christ's righteousness, God is always smiling on you. Why don't you take a moment to think about that? Because most of you don't really believe that. You want to believe that. You want it to be true. But it, it doesn't sound true. And the reason is because everything in this world is based on our performance. Everything in this world is based on that. And yet Christ is not from this world. He came to earth to redeem the lost, to heal all that was broken. Friends, can you imagine your life set free from burden, from guilt? Can you imagine living without the fear of rejection? Can you imagine living as one who is loved and accepted by God? Because in Christ, you are. And friends, we grow in Christ by growing deeper in the gospel. Being anchored in Christ for all of life gives us the stability and the security that we need to live, and not just live, but to live well. Now I want to close by considering these last two images together. There's overlap in all of them, but these ones we'll put together. The gospel as treasure and the gospel as power. As we are freed from sin's power, we are now freed to delight in God. To be centered on the gospel is to see the gospel as a treasure. And in order for us to grow spiritually, we need to keep God first in our life. And we can only and deeply do that when we treasure Him. Here's, here's how that works. We need God to be first, but the only way we can do that is if we treasure Him. The only way that we can do that well is if we treasure Him. It's been famously said that the human heart is an idol factory. Why? Well, it's because we've been created to worship. That's how we were created. All of us were created in the image of God. And we were created to worship Him in all that we do. And if we don't worship the true God of heaven and earth, we will worship something. I wish we had another hour to dig into this. But very simply, I'll say that we worship what we love. We worship what we love. We worship what we treasure and what we think will give us what we need. How do we know what is it that we're worshiping? Well, our sins can help us identify these false idols. 
Most of us see a sin in our life, fill in the blank, whatever it is, and we try to stop it, right? How's that working for you? Whether it's gossip or lust or anger, we tell ourselves, I need to stop doing that. God doesn't like that. That's not how, the way that Christians should live. I need to stop doing that. And so I'll ask again, how's that going for you? Fighting sin on your own strength. Let's take gossip as an example. Instead of saying, I need to stop gossiping, we need to ask ourselves, why do I gossip? You see, the fruit of the heart idol in this example is a sin of gossiping. But what's the root? What is causing you to gossip? It could be lots of things. You could be idolizing approval. And so you gossip because you want the approval of whoever you're speaking to. It could be the idol of control. And so you gossip to control the situation and control other people. Maybe the idol of success You see someone succeeding, and you're not, and so you gossip. It can be so many different things at the heart level. A desire for reputation, for pleasure, for security, for respect. You see, all these idols are promoting false gospels. You wrongly believe that if you were successful, then your life would be better. If you had more pleasure or more approval, then you'd have that peace that you're looking for in your life. And so you pursue those things. And I'm sure you've found, as we've all found, that they leave us empty. They never give what they promise. So here's what it looks like to treasure, to treasure Christ. We see that we have all of these things in Jesus because of the gospel. We have peace. We have security, recognition, approval, knowledge, acceptance. But when we're not centering our lives on the gospel, then we turn, into these, turn towards these idols to give us what Jesus can only truly give. You see, the gospel is treasure is to see Jesus as of greater value and worth than anything else. And the gospel gives us eyes to see Jesus in this way. And so I encourage you to go deeper into the gospel. And then the further that we go, we will find that the gospel has the power to set us free from the sins that plague our lives. As we treasure Christ, we are empowered to fight against the temptation that anything else is better because we have Christ. The hope in Him is an anchor for our souls. The gospel as power means that we see sin as it is. Not just a behavior, but a condition. And so repentance isn't just doing something, uh, isn't a a thing that we do when we just occasionally sin or or really mess up. Okay, now I I need to repent to God. No, we repent because repentance is a way of life. When we find that we've started to trust in something more than Christ or delighting in something that is not of Christ, we repent of that and place again and place anew our faith in Jesus. Friends, this is the pattern of the Christian life. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. 
I heard a pastor and author, Sam Albury, say this recently. Maturity in the Christian life is needing Jesus more, not needing Jesus less. Let me say that again. Maturity in the Christian life is needing Jesus more, not needing Jesus less. It's good for us to consider. Friends, we were created to need Jesus. Therefore, we will never outgrow our need for Jesus. We will never outgrow our need for the gospel. And so growing and maturing in the Christian life is seeing how we need Jesus in every aspect of our life, in every level of those areas. And so let me close this morning by encouraging you to let the gospel remain on your lips and to sink down deep into your hearts. Friend, I don't know what problem you're going through, but I know that the gospel speaks to it. I don't know the ways that you want to grow in your faith, but I know the gospel speaks to it. And so let us be a church that encourages one another and reminds one another with the truths of the gospel. Let's point one another to the beauties of Christ always, because the world is always trying to captivate us, trying to take our gaze from Christ and to be mindful of the things of the world. Let us together center our lives in the gospel of Jesus because there is nothing greater than we need. There's nothing greater that's available to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for that sure and certain hope. Lord, we recognize that for those who are outside the church will will look at us as arrogant, that, that we can say with such certainty that we are accepted by you. The only reason we can say that is because it's not dependent on us. All that is necessary has been accomplished by you. So we praise you and we thank you and we honor you. Father, help us to treasure Christ. Help us to take the message and the work of the gospel deeply into our lives. Father, for your glory, and for our good. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.